Welcome to the Academy of Esports podcast. I'm your host, James O'Hagan. I have the pleasure today to interview Tom Doerr. He's with the British Esports Association. Tom, thanks so much for being on the podcast today. Absolute pleasure. Lovely to, lovely to be with you. Thank you. Now, you are not the head of the association. You're the head of education for the British uh, Esports Association. Uh, again, it is, it is what we would call or consider, I guess, the, the governing body, I guess, for esports and education in the UK. Is that correct? Yeah, so we're we're not for profit. Mm -hmm. uh, we're a national body as opposed to a, a governing body. But we were established in 2016 with permission from the government um, to because you, to call anything the a British Association, you've got to have permission from the government. Um, so we we represent grassroots um, esports uh, and working with young people essentially to raise awareness of what esports actually is, um, to to promote esports and to try and um, inspire future talent really. Um, and to advise really all stakeholders within the industry what esports actually is uh, and what great opportunities that there are therein. And, and it's kind of nice, given that uh, the UK is is a is a small entity and everything's really well connected. I guess you know in the, in the United States we have all our different state associations. We've got several different national associations. Uh, we even have uh, my friend uh, Miguel Gill. Um, yep. He helped fund found the uh, United States Esports Association. But in the United States, it's kind of like it's it's a it's a much bigger entity because we are so spread out and because we have so many uh, sections. In Great Britain, in the UK, you have your association, and that is for the entire country, uh, yeah. including and not just the country. I should say Wales, Scotland, Northern Ireland, and Britain. Yeah, look, there are some entities in in Scotland, in Ireland, and in Wales that have established themselves to to represent those countries for esports. They're mm -hmm. they're commercial organisations. Whereas we're very much not for profit, um, we have a very close partnership in in the US with with NACEF, and um, we very much share those sorts of same values um, with NACEF. So that will give some of your the, the people tuning in, you know, more of a hook around the type of organisation that we are. We have a, an advisory board, um, a voluntary advisory board that that meet four times a year, and on that board we've uh, Andy Payne is our chairman who was the chairman of the UK trade and industry body for the interactive games industry uh, mm. for 10 years. He's got an OBE for services to the games industry that, uh, you know, one of the, the um, pageantry things that the Royal family give out um, for his services to the games industry. Uh, Ed Vasey is the ex MP for, for digital. Um, so he's our vice chair and then people like Garvey. So Mark Candela from, from Twitch, he sits on our board. Uh, Mick, Mick O'Dell or Odie, who was the founder of Team Dignitas that the Philadelphia 76ers bought. Um, so he's now uh, works for Rec Global and, and leads the London Royal Ravens in, in, in the COD League. Um, so it's people with that sort of standing that then volunteer on our advisory board to, to give us, our exec team, the, the, the guidance and support that we need. All right. And what, I guess... Uh, Previous episodes of the podcast, I interviewed uh, Aiden Boylan, who is with, uh, uh, he's the CEO of Irish Collegiate Esports. And uh, the, the picture he painted was was very different than what we have in the United States. What What is the state, not so much, I guess, of collegiate, because again, when Aiden talked about high school esports in, in, um, in Ireland, it was, sorry, I have a cat who was deciding to <laughs> use my, my table as a scratching post suddenly. Um, what Aiden didn't paint a very 
positive picture, I guess, of, of esports in Ireland at the high school or secondary school level at this moment, just because you know, certain areas of the country are very not connected. Uh, esports doesn't have a prominent role at the in the GAA or in yeah. schools. What is the current state, I guess, of British esports at the high school level? Yeah, absolutely, and, and certainly in an area that we focus on. I, I'm a teacher myself. I'm I, I've been teaching for the last 15 years as well. I still teach three days a week, and. So it is something that very, very much is still growing. A lot of my role as, as head of education is to speak to different stakeholders within the school system, uh, seeing it from the teachers, well, from the students, but the teachers right the way through the, the senior leadership, and mm -hmm. then at the sort of the regional level and government level to, to really raise awareness of what esports actually is and therefore the benefits that, that, that can be gained from engaging young people with it. Um, Look, I think it's fair to say it's growing. We run the, the national uh, championships, the British Esports Championships for schools and colleges. And this is the second full season that's run this year. Um, last season, uh, we had about 140 teams um, okay. playing, across, uh, playing across Rocket League, Overwatch and League of Legends are the three games that we use. This season, we've had just under 300 teams playing. Um, wow. So which shows that we, we've doubled the numbers year on year. And we're hopefully that's where we're hopefully going to continue to grow. Um, we have a partnership with the Association of Colleges. So I just want to um, recognize, so your high schools go up mm -hmm. to 19, our colleges go up to 19, then university for us is above that. Whereas okay. I appreciate that in, in the US colleges are, are equivalent universities and things like that. So we have an association, a partnership with the Association of Colleges. And so we deliver their esports program for them. There are 280 colleges further education colleges for 16 to 19 year olds in the UK. Uh, and so we deliver their esports program like uh, the football association deliver their football or soccer competitions and the rugby football union do their rugby uh, tournaments. We do the same for, for them uh, for, for esports. So uh, it's growing. Um, there is more of an understanding now of what esports is. Obviously, the, the COVID situation, the lockdown situation is almost the perfect storm for esports. Mm -hmm. um, and we're just about to run a FIFA tournament with the Association of Colleges so young people can still represent their colleges despite the lockdown. Um, so it, it's a situation that is growing and growing in, in the awareness of it. And people are getting over their preconceptions or their misconceptions around uh, esports and around video gaming and starting to realize how it can be used as, as a hook to motivate and engage young people. Yeah, and and looking again, uh, again, because I, I have to go back to um, some of Aiden's comments just to kind of help frame some of my conversation with you, because there were a lot of things that were surprising. Sure. One of the things I guess that was most surprising to me was issues of connectivity. And again, as we're looking at COVID and the way the world is changing um, and how things are going to be done a lot more in the home, um, you know, students won't necessarily have access to uh, connected spaces in their schools. Uh, in Ireland, of course, the issue of, is that uh, everything has to go through servers in, in, in Europe, uh, it seems. Where is an area, say, like uh, Northern Ireland, which is, which is on Ireland, or like even like the Isle of Manx or something, uh, Isle of Man, where they, they um, are, are in remote areas? What is the connectivity situation, I guess, in the UK? I imagine in, in Britain yeah. and Wales and Scotland, it's much better than, say, Northern Ireland or some of the uh, outlying islands. Yeah, sure. So we, we've got colleges from Northern Ireland who are part of the champs who, who, who play against the, the colleges in the, on the mainland. 
if you like, in mm. in in um in England and Wales and Scotland, the, the, the teams there without any real issues, if I'm perfectly honest. Um, okay. We're talk we're talking to um a, um a group of Highland colleges and Highlands in Scotland, a uh, um a group of colleges. I think there's about forty thousand students spread across twelve or fourteen different campuses that we're talking to them about uh, their involvement in esports. Um, there those issues there might be. And that's something that we've got a hurdle that we've got to come across. But if I'm honest, the connectivity isn't really an issue. It's more the schools and colleges um, having the right kit in terms of the PCs with the capability to play. The, the processors are normally okay-ish, not great, but it's mm -hmm. the graphics cards. Not having discrete graphics cards in the PCs, that are that's the stumbling block for us. And with the financial situation in schools, in the education system in the UK for the last few years... Um, it's not something that schools have the cash to be able to upgrade their systems, let alone if, if the IT teacher or the media teacher was to go to them and say, I actually want to upgrade these PCs to allow young people to play video games. That's not going to go down so well, because that's the place we are still in terms of the awareness of what actually esports is and the role it can play. Well, it, it seems, too, that uh, it, it's nice to it's nice. To, I should say it's nice to kind of hear some of these things, because while, again, we our systems are very different. Um, some of the struggles that we may be having are very similar between the UK and the US. For example, you talk about the graphics card, about the computers that that uh, schools are using and trying to wrap their minds around, hey, we need these additional things. Just like, um, you know, with uh, soccer in the US, you would need to have goals, you know, of a certain yeah. size. You can't just use your goalposts from your football team uh, to, to be uh, soccer goals. Um, so it, it's it's nice to hear that there are those those issues. I know in my own community, some of the issues that we're struggling with is that uh, some of the kids just don't have connectivity to the home. They don't have PCs or consoles um, in the yeah. home. Is the British Esports Association trying to find ways to address situations or, or instances like that? Yeah, sure. So we um, we've run some quite groundbreaking um, projects in alternative provision schools. Um, so I've now, taught just in, just to sorry, I need I need I want because this is a very important point, and I want to make sure people in the United States understand. This, so I'm going to do a little translation. Alternative provision <laughs> schools would be like an alternative high school, for example, uh, for yeah. students who don't who uh, close to dropping out. The traditional system didn't fit them. Uh, of learning didn't fit them. In fact, uh, the interview uh, I did a couple of weeks ago with Dr. Christy Custer and Mike Russell, we talked about how esports fit into their alternative school in Kansas. So please continue. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So we ran last year, um, we managed to borrow um, 12 systems, well, 24 systems in total from two different PC suppliers to put into eight schools for six or eight weeks. And we ran a Rocket League tournament. Mm -hmm. um, the success was was huge. It, it was phenomenal. Look, having, having taught in that sort of environment, I knew it was going to have an impact, but we didn't really appreciate just how much of an impact it would have, both in terms of attendance, behavior, um, you know, general engagement from young people who, who for whatever reasons, variety of different reasons, be it behavioral, social, emotional, behavioral, um, be it um, autistic spectrum disorders, um, learning disabilities, physical disabilities. Uh, Esports played a massive, massive role for them. You know, there, there's one lad, his attendance went up. His attendance was at 65% before the mm -hmm. before the tournament. It went up to 95% during the six weeks the tournament was on. He was violent towards members of staff. He was almost before. selective. Yeah, before. Before, before, <laughs> before he was violent towards members. Yeah, good point. Um, he was almost a selective mute in school. It turns out he's a massive gamer. 
And there were two other younger lads in the school who physically had to be separated. They couldn't be in the same classroom as each other because they were so violent towards each other. Mm-hmm. The older lad, his attendance went up to nearly 95% during the tournament. He then started co- and he then started speaking, engaging with members of staff. He then started coaching these two other younger lads who were also gamers, who then played on the same Rocket League team as the three of them. And it's just phenomenal. So we've, we've launched, we started running that again in February. Uh, this time with 12 schools, we managed to get some more systems because these, these schools are, are small. They don't mm-hmm. have, they maybe have 40, 50 students. They don't have the accessibility um, that other bigger schools have. And um, unfortunately, the lockdown came along just as we we're three or four weeks into the competition. We had two weeks left before the finals. Uh, and and it's and it's and it finished. We we're very lucky. Reuters, uh, the news, the uh, global news network, went and did a piece uh, and published um, a report from from this alternative provision school where they interviewed the kids and interviewed the staff there. And that went out through the global um, Reuters network, which was again great exposure for the school and for what esports is. Mm-hmm. So we're trying to help from from that point of view and engaging um, disadvantaged young people and disadvantaged communities as well. And I think that's something that there's a greater role to to be done to in, inclusion essentially um accessibility wider accessibility and that's something that we're we're working on different projects to try and help yeah and, and again uh, i think it's so easy to the low-hanging fruit for esports if you will in high schools and secondary schools is uh, getting those students who are already kind of engaged in it or are engaged in school already uh, who do yeah. regularly attend um it, it's finding these pockets and finding these instances where esports is going to be most beneficial for students who who are not typically connected who just, who don't want to associate with their school and what what you demonstrated and described is a situation just like that where a lot of times you know we do look past kids in alternative learning programs because the the mindset again because as somebody who has also worked in alternative high schools here in the United States a lot of the mindset is we just got to get them credits and we got to get them graduated. Yep. And I, I started a, my alternative education experience in Rockford, Illinois at uh, uh, Roosevelt uh, Alternative High School. And luckily I came in the same year as a new principal and Dr. Heidi Huey, who I worked with, she did a fantastic job of, I guess, almost throwing open the doors. Uh, the, the alternative school was kind of like this place where kids go and they kind of disappear. And then hopefully a couple of years later, yeah. they come out with a diploma. She made a, a very good effort that's kind of changed culture in the in the city of Rockford and in the school itself that has made um, alternative education not a scary thing, not a place where kids go to disappear, but a place that is embraced in the community. And it's just, again, finding kids that learn in different ways. My, my virtual learning program that I have right now, I, in some ways I refer to it as the land of misfit toys, where there's kids who, for whatever reason, um, connect better through virtual learning than they did with their traditional school. But we can't forget, because we are so focused on credit attainment and graduation, we cannot forget that we're also trying to build these kids up socially as well too and provide them social connections. Because a lot of these things, alternative learning and virtual learning can be very socially isolating. So we need things like this right now, more so than ever. Absolutely. And that's something, that's an approach that and it links back to your, your your earlier questions in terms of how it's perceived and how it's um, uh, how it's taken over here. And one of the things we very much push is is the holistic character skills. Um, it's the opportunity to engage a wider demographic of young people. And if if you're not into traditional sports, um, 
music, art, drama, the traditional extracurricular activities at school, mm. where you get that are that are acknowledged by educationists as developing these holistic character skills that we want in young people, but you're not doing that. Where are you getting the teamwork, the leadership, the communication, the social skills, the decision making, all you know, problem solving, all this stuff that we know employers, um, you know, well universities and then employers want where are the young people getting it from if they're into all things tech if they're into all things digital if they're if if they're gamers if they're massively into this um mm -hmm. our, our friends at nasef use this expression which we've used and you, you may have heard it on the podcast before about esports being a trojan horse in a lot of ways you yep. can then yeah with which you can then deliver um all sorts of other programs and bring all sorts of other uh, other things into learning programs and things like that. But using esports as the hook to motivate and engage, and as the vehicle to motivate and engage, and that's something very much that I spend a lot of my time trying to speak to educators and as senior leaders and the decision makers within the education system in the UK um, about, essentially. Yeah, and I know one of the terms we don't like to use because this isn't that. Um, I, I personally don't like to equate esports and gamification together. Um, as as our our friend at NASEF, uh, Kevin Brown says, you know, basically what you're talking about is chocolate covered broccoli when you do gamification. We're talking about using esports in ways that are intrinsically motivating for kids to be a part of something where they see the the real connections that are meaningful to them. We're not asking them to do a task that they wouldn't normally do. We're asking them to see a broader perspective of their learning opportunities and things that they can accomplish through esports that maybe they never really connected before, like health and wellness, like, uh, you know, doing it work or, or even thinking about creative writing, marketing, uh, branding, art, all those things that they may have had an aversion to in the past. Now we're showing them through esports, just how big of an ecosystem this is and how it can touch on all these other things that they're, that they're interested in uh, authentically. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it's because the esports industry is being driven by a younger an age demographic of younger people. It's not something that senior decision makers and I, look, I'm in my 40s now and, I, you know, I'm in that age. How engaged young people are with this anyway. And so therefore it's opening people's eyes to just how much how this engages young people anyway. And so therefore how it can be used. Yeah. And, and sorry if I if you lost me for or I lost you for just a second. I don't think I did. No but I had uh, my AirPods all of a sudden decided to randomly disconnect. Uh, <laughs> no don't know why. Yeah. Um, but yes, to your to your point about um, this, again, the Trojan horse, the again, not the chocolate covered bro uh, broccoli. We are looking at things in intrinsically meaningful, motivating ways. The, the thing I talk about a lot of is self-determination theory. Kids want to feel a sense of autonomy. They want to feel a sense of relatedness and they want to feel a sense of competency in what they do um, to be self to be intrinsically motivated to do something. And again, for especially when, again, when we're talking about those kids in alternative programs, a lot of them have for years been systematically told they are not competent, um, that they have no autonomy and they don't feel a sense of community. As you were talking about, even to the students that you said was violent towards staff or two or two kids who could never uh, be together in the same room. And yep. I, we've seen this in a lot in, in alternative learning. Um, having that connection through games brings about, that, again, that sense of relatedness, that feeling of, hey, I am smart. I can do something. I can accomplish something. And again, building those relationships with kids to, to make this such a, a powerful 
learning opportunity that again, as we're moving into this age of COVID, I am, I am, I ask the question because I keep seeing the, the statements uh, news agencies putting out there. Esports is thriving, and I, I have to stop and ask for whom is esports thriving? Because again, there's a lot of kids who, again, you and I have seen the benefits of this. And I worry about those kids who are benefiting from this the most who are not seeing esports now as thriving and they may revert back to things. So we need to put things in place that allow us to make sure that we are not losing these kids. Yeah, absolutely. And just going back to what you're saying about the relationship thing, Mm -hmm. one of the things that struck me the most or or that I hold sort of core to my teaching principles or my my beliefs as as an educator is that it is about developing those relationships. It's finding out which soccer team, which football team the kids support. It's finding who their favorite band is, what their what films that they're into. So when you see them in the playground or in between lessons, oh, I saw your team won last night, or yeah, have you have you just have you heard their new song? You know, mm-hmm. those sorts of things that help you to develop the relationships that when you're in the classroom and you are in trying to engage them with something inherently that maybe they don't want to learn, they don't want to do, you have a relationship with them there that then helps your teaching in the classroom. Esports can then provide this for people because it is something, as you said, inherently that young people really enjoy doing. And if we can support them in doing that and making it open and accessible to all, like like you just said, um, there are huge, huge learning opportunities here for sure. That and and now you're, we're not just talking about ethereal; we're talking also about real, tangible. I guess, learning goals and evidence because the British Esports Association did partner with Pearson UK to develop actual, I guess you could say, curriculum. Now, for, for people who may have an aversion to that word sometimes about curriculum and esports, sure. um, it, it is easy to have an aversion to it. But, but I think what you have done is something that is unique to the British education system, at least. Talk, talk a little bit about because again, this might be something that sounds very foreign to uh, people here in the U.S. There's there are certifications that you can get through your schools that will 16 to 19 year olds can take tests and certifications. What what have you developed with Pearson UK sure. around sure. Uh, esports? So I think it's it's maybe worth framing it a little bit in terms of the education system first up in sure. the fact that we have a national curriculum that all schools and colleges have to follow. Um, my understanding of the, the U.S. is that each state and even each county within each state can essentially set their own um, accreditations, essentially, or uh, uh, courses that they will accredit. Is that there's right? a lot of yeah, there's a lot of freedoms. I mean, usually there are state standards that people have to do, yeah. such as there might be a state test. But you go yeah. state to state and that test can be different state to state even. Yeah, exactly. Whereas in the U.K., essentially, there are only three main exam boards or bodies of which Pearson is one. They own one of the major uh, exam bodies called uh, boards called Edexcel that you all the different subjects you might take all the different traditional courses, the math, the science, English languages, whatever it is, you will take an exam from one of those three main exam examining bodies that you pay for um, that you then get your grades for that you then get ultimately allow you to go on to um, apprenticeships or into universities, uh, essentially. As a as a teacher, as a school, as an organisation, we couldn't necessarily we couldn't develop a course to then allow to then be accredited 
for students to then get credits for to go towards a grade like happens in the States. Somebody could you could develop your own course, couldn't you, that then gets um, accredited that those students get then can, can take for a term or something like that, which then gets them credits towards a wider their, their year, if you like. That's what well, we, happens, we, isn't it? we don't even have to do accreditation. I mean, a, a school district could, in theory, develop a course, let's say a, a, an esports course, and it doesn't have to, it, it should have standards that's tied to it, but it doesn't have to. It can, it could count yeah. as an elective. It could go on a transcript with however you want to call it. Yeah. Sure. So that can't happen in the UK if schools and if students want to use this to get anything to get accreditation, it has to essentially be passed through the government. To, to do that with. And so very small numbers of qualifications get that. Um, we couldn't do that on our own. Um, so that's why we engage with, with Pearson, with their standing in the UK and their global uh, standing within education. Um, I guess in the UK, well, I know in the US, they're, counts, they're classed as a vendor um, mm -hmm. within the, the education system. In the UK, everybody are vendors because everybody all schools will buy these qualifications from these accredited bodies essentially okay. um, because we don't have the flexibility and freedom so we have developed our own qualification um, they're the first of their kind in the world we obviously we work very closely with NACEF and we understand that the curriculum and the modules and units that NACEF have produced for example and I know um, HSEL have produced some a series of lesson plans and things like that that can be used. This is a full holistic course that we've developed. So, for example, when I was 16, I took maths, chemistry and biology with the three subjects I took, which I then uh, did for two years and then went on to university to study zoology, uh, as I did. Okay. Um, the course that we've written, the qualifications that we've written are the equivalent uh, of taking three um, more academic subjects, if you like. Uh, it's a vocational course. There's no exam in content as part of it. It's all internal assessment. It's all coursework based. Um, but the level three course, which is for 16, 17, 18 year olds, there's a 1A level equivalent. So a 2A level equivalent and a full 3A level equivalent. They will get through doing the 3A level equivalent, the extended diploma it's called, they will get the same number of credits for as I got, for example, if I got three A's, doing an A in maths, an A in biology, an A in chemistry, mm -hmm. they will get the same credit from doing extended diploma. If they get distinctions, that has the same number of credits as if you get A's in traditional academic subjects. So okay. it's got the same currency for them to move on to university. Okay. Um, it's been it's been written. I, I, I can appreciate how I've heard. Um, well, you've you've let me know about how Pearson is viewed in some parts, as have. Um, as have NACEF and, and the viewership, um, so how they're viewed and maybe questions that might be asked in terms of who are Pearson to develop this. Mm -hmm. We at British Esports are the guys who have actually developed the course. So, for example, myself with my 15 years teaching background and my, my last three or four years working for British Esports, one of my colleagues, uh, Gary, who's a lecturer at college in games design, uh, he's got a background in animation and games development. He used to work for Ubisoft uh, before he became a lecturer. So he's been a part of the development there. We've got another um, teacher. She, was a me she teaches media studies and was very much on the streaming side of things and the video production. She's, she's an avid esports fan and travels all over Europe going to the live events and things like that and volunteers to produce streams for um, some of the conferences and the, 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 the grassroots festivals over here. She's behind the scenes doing all the streaming stuff. She helped us write it. Um, 
We've got shoutcasters that we work with over here. There's a unit in this course about shoutcasting. So one of our um, Kieran Lowe, Kieran Lowe, his name is Excoundrels, is 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 is, is his tag. Um, he wrote this help us to write the the shoutcasting unit, for example. Mm -hmm. So it is very much British esports who've written this course that Pearson have then helped us to accredit and helped us go through the um, the accreditation hoops, the legislative um, hoops to get this course accredited and hence our, our partnership with them that they will now use in their global networks to promote around the world. And and I, I want to make sure that people understand, too, that, again, a lot of the hesitation that a lot of us have about Pearson is usually it's related to cost. And um, the a lot of us have, especially in high school esports in the United States, have tried to keep costs as low as, as we possibly can. NASEF still has their free curriculum that's available to everybody. HSEL and Microsoft have developed the curriculum with uh, Mike Russell and Dr. Christy Custer. And I shouldn't, we shouldn't take this as necessarily a threat, but as something that is to be fairly explored, just like anything else. Um, we need to be academic. We have to be intellectually honest with ourselves yep. and, and take a good look at it. And knowing, again, that this wasn't developed by uh, somebody who has never taught in the classroom, who is sitting in a cube somewhere, you know, in uh, I think they're in uh, Glenview, Illinois, which is where their, their U.S. <laughs> headquarters are, which is about 30 minutes south of me. Um, it, it's it is fair. And it, I think it does as, as Pearson starts to um, bring this out into the world beyond the U.K. As, and I think when we talked previously, you were talking about, you know, the British education system is very popular worldwide. So we're talking Southeast Asia, India, yep. um, other other areas that have adopted a British system. I think uh, the Middle East, especially. Middle East as well. Yeah, is absolutely. We need to be fair in um, evaluating this again with intellectual honesty, because, again, this is not the work of one person. This is a work of a conglomerate of people who are involved in this in the education realm who do have I think ultimately students' best interests at heart. And, you know, I, I know that if I had the time and, and money to be able to do something like this, this is something I know that I would have loved to have done as well. Yeah, thank you. And I, I think um, we're not yet aware of how Pearson are intending to bring this to the U.S. and how the U.S. part of Pearson are, are going to take this forward. Um, we've got meetings with the, the international team at, at Pearson who are based in the U.K., or the UK angle of it about this next week. So I can then approach people like yourself and our friends at NACEF to say, right, guys, look, come and have this conversation with Pearson because Pearson needs to hear the feedback as well from, from the grassroots, from the educators in the US and to hear the, um, the concerns or to outline what you guys need to hear, essentially, um, well, around how it, how it can be introduced. And that goes with, with any organization whether it's it's esports or it's education related who wants to i guess plant a flag um, they have to realize that again this is not top down esports in the united states has not been a top down thing just like it hasn't been in britain it's been very much a grassroots as you keep saying and it's still it's true here grassroots bottom up there needs to be discussion at the table um, just like yeah. even uh, here's another perfect example um, riot uh, riot when they changed their community guidelines and we had the open letter to riot. Sure. Um, the the problem that a lot of us had with that, well, for me personally, was that they decided that high school and collegiate should be lumped together. And we know that 
collegiate and high school are completely different worlds. They have completely different mindsets, completely different goals. Uh, we're not out here to make money, nor is collegiate, but again, still different views. Um, there was no conversation with people at the high school level. We're just now getting to that conversation and realizing that we are huge stakeholders and that we have a lot of power to potentially help grow their business. Pearson, I hope, yep. realizes the same thing, is that there is a network of people in the United States right now who have blood, sweat, and tears have built this. You know, uh, yep. there's, there's people who have developed their own curriculum and done an excellent job of it. And we need to uh, make sure that they are, I guess, included in the conversation, asked, talked to, approached in ways that are respectful and meaningful so that we can, again, have intellectual honesty enough to look at this and go, hey, this is good stuff, or hey, we may want to reconsider this, or, or, or something of that nature. I think one of the things that struck me that, that sticks with me about what you wrote in terms of the, the, the riot stuff was remembering who, who our main stakeholders are here, and it's the young people. Mm -hmm. it's yep. not necessarily it's not shareholders it's not stuff on on the on the stock markets or share prices or you know paying back venture capitalists who've, who've put loads of money into setting investments up it, mm -hmm. it is the young people and we need to understand what is best for young people and how certainly in the high school sector it's different in in you know um, the esports scene, the wider esports pro scene, and things like that. Of course, that's different. But working with with high schools, we're working with young people, and we're working with state funded or public funded organisations in in high schools and uh, and schools. Uh, and so there has got to be an understanding there. Um, but look, it, it's messages that I will very much be pushing with with Pearson um, to so when things do get brought to the US, hopefully conversations. Um, or these sorts of messages are, are, are heeded uh, essentially along the way. And, and what's nice too about what you just said to me, to, to me is, you know, again, the state of the world right now where economies are currently shrinking, um, again, COVID has taken hold, um, venture capital money can start to dry up uh, or, or resources will start to shift. What's nice to know about a group like the British Esports Association, like my own, the Wisconsin High School Esports Association, NASEF, we are non-for-profit. And we are focused, uh, and even if, let's say, uh, everything imploded, in, even in our associations, there are still people involved at this, again, at the grassroots level, who are doing this for nothing, who will make sure, because we, again, we agree that the educational value of this, the connections that we're making with students and the things we're doing, we will find a way. We will find yeah. a way through all this. And, and, it, and right now, there are troubled times where, again, issues of equity of access around technology, but those are solutions that can be found. Those are and, and again, there's good people involved in this right now who, if everything else collapses, you know, it, you know, HSEL, Play Versus, even NASEF, we will still yep. all work together to help kids somehow, some way. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the the as high schools, as as we move on, equipment will get better. Schools mm -hmm. will upgrade their systems, will upgrade their connectivity. And one of the things I very much push is that actually when you are upgrading your next PC suite um, or when you're upgrading systems, just have one half an eye on the specs that are required to play esports. It will then help or, you know, it shouldn't be the bit, it shouldn't be the, the driving point. But actually, if you're upgrading systems to better teach computer science, to teach mm -hmm. design, to teach animation, um, all those types of things, all the new media courses, then actually 
And a sideline of that, which can then be used to engage and motivate kids, is the playing of esports, is the setting up of an esports club, of an esports program uh, as well, that can then be linked into the STEM subjects, that link into the teaching of computer science, the different new media courses um, as well. Yeah, I look at, uh, you know, I know a lot of people have made investments in Chromebooks over the years, and I, I do enjoy the Chromebook platform uh, personally. Yep. Uh, I look at it educationally and just, again, if the Chromebook is great if you're going to school, if you do have a lab that's available to you. I've toyed yep. with, given budgets are finite, but yep. I've toyed with the idea of even budgeting for laptops that are a, a full PC, you know, Windows laptops that can work without internet access, but also can run some of these games. Maybe not at full frame rates, maybe not at, you know, high end, but something yep. at least that allows us the experience of play because right now there's a lot of kids who need this the most who are missing out on play who are missing out on the technology um, who need it most and so to, to your point i think that is that is a that is key to have that eye towards not just being connected but what is the quality of that connection that kids can have through technology and i i think just sort of thinking about it now it's not really something i've thought about before but the role of the different tech firms and different publishers and things like that in this to from a CSR type of point of view, uh, sort of corporate social responsibility point of view, um, the role that they should maybe be playing in this space a little bit more. Not, And we're, we're very lucky. We have very good relationships with the publishers and work under community licenses because we're because we're not for profit, because we're not offering prize pools. The, the whole scholarship system that you have in the US where uh, I know that's what different organizations are doing and giving prize money out for scholarship funds. That's simply not nothing. That doesn't work in the UK. That doesn't happen in the UK anyway. We don't have scholarship programs and things like that. So it isn't about the prize money. It's not about the prize. It's just about competing. It's about taking part. It's about participation. It's about competing. But maybe there's a role as well there for um for the developers, for the tech firms to to support more in this way as well, maybe. And I, I hope as we grow, not just in the UK, but the the, the high school, the education esports space, that big organisations will realise the opportunities that there are for them to engage here. Both they will have a commercial hat on, of course they will, but also from a good, from the, the what they should be doing, from a moral point of view of what they should be doing anyway. Well, Tom, if we had it our way, I think uh, things would be a lot different. Uh, there, there's, but it's nice to know that there are people, again, in large associations um, that do share a lot of these sentiments. I know that there's educators across the world who are involved with esports who share these sentiments. And um, again, it's nice to know that the work that you all are doing is is um, on a very while while the UK is geographically a very small country. It does have a large footprint across the world. It is a world leader. So I really appreciate your efforts with the British Esports Association and, and everything that you all are doing. I'll give you the last word, Tom. Anything else you wish to share or promote before we, we sound off, uh, sign off? Uh, look, I, I just think it's it's an opportunity. Esports is an opportunity to, to engage across countries and across borders. And certainly something that we're going to be working on and we are working on is 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 this cross cross country competition that's something that will be the next step and we're working with with various different organizations to to try and make that reality and our friends at NACEF um to try and bring some some competition between different countries and young people um um from around the world because that will be 
that will really take things to the next level as well to the shared their shared passion for esports um which we which we really need to engage with more um so look it's, it's a great honor to be able to speak to you um and to to highlight the similarities to highlight the dip well not the differences because there aren't many differences but to, that w people share the same views and that we're on the same pathway in terms of promoting what esports is and the opportunity the opportunities it provides to to engage young people Fantastic. Tom Dore of the British Esports Association, thanks so much for being on the Academy of Esports podcast. Thank you very much. That will do it for this week on the Academy of Esports. I've been your host, James O'Hagan. Esports are organized competitive video games allowing schools to redefine their athletic culture, diversify opportunities for student participation, promote good physical and mental health, increase collegiate scholarship pathways, and play games. We can never forget the importance of play. The mission of the Academy of Esports is to support these ideals. The vision of the Academy of Esports is for all students to experience the fun and joy of playing competitive video games. You may follow me on Twitter at Jim O'Hagan. That's at J-I-M-O-H-A-G-A-N and through the Academy of Esports account at T-A-O Esports it's a great way to get the latest blog posts, podcast episodes, and news coming out of esports and education. And remember, you can continue your engagement by going to www.taoesports.com. You can also connect through Facebook at www.facebook.com slash taoesports. Thanks again for listening, and I look forward to our time again next week.